Chapter 18 of Raiding with Morgan by Byron Dunn. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Ride of the Six Hundred. What Morgan's thoughts were, what his hopes were, as he rode away from that fatal field at Buffington Island, no one knows. With him rode six hundred, all that was left of the three thousand. He could have had no thoughts of attempting to cross the Ohio anywhere near Buffington Island, for he rode almost due north. It may have been he thought that he might cross near Wheeling or higher up, and escape into the mountains of western Pennsylvania, or at last resort he might reach Lake Erie, seize a steamboat, and escape to Canada. Whatever he thought, north he rode, through the most populous counties of Ohio. And what a ride was that for six hundred men? Foes everywhere, home guards springing up at every corner. No rest, day or night. Close in his rear thundered the legions of General Shackelford, a Kentuckian as brave, as fearless, as tireless as Morgan himself. But in spite of all opposition, in spite of foes gathering on right and left and in front, Morgan rode on, sweeping through the counties of Miggs, Vinton, Hocking, Athens, Washington, Morgan, Muskegon, Guernsey, Belmont, Harrison, Jefferson, until he reached Columbiana County, where the end came. Almost every hour during this ride, the six hundred grew less. Men fell from their horses in exhaustion. They slept as they rode, keeping to their saddles as by instinct. The terrible strain told on everyone. The men grew haggard, emaciated. When no danger threatened, they rode as dead men, but once let a rifle crack in front, and their sluggish blood would flow like fire through their veins. Their eyes would kindle with the excitement of battle, and they would be Morgan's fierce raiders once more. As for Calhoun, it seemed as if he never slept, never tired. It was as if his frame were made of iron. Where danger threatened, there he was. He was foremost in every charge. It looked as if he bore a charmed life. The day before the end came, he was scouting on a road parallel to the one on which the main body was traveling. Hearing shots, he took a crossroad and galloped at full speed to see what was the trouble. A small party of home guards was retreating at full speed. One, far in advance of the others, was making frantic efforts to urge his horse to greater speed. Calhoun saw that he could cut him off, and he did so, reaching the road just as he came abreast of it. So intent was the fellow on getting away, he did not notice Calhoun until brought to a stand by the stern command, Surrender. In his surprise and terror, the man rolled from his horse, the picture of the most abject cowardice Calhoun ever saw. He fairly groveled in the dust. Don't kill me, don't kill me, he cried, raising his hands in supplication. I didn't want to come, they forced me. I never did anything against you. Dismounting, Calhoun gave him a kick which sent him rolling. Get up, you blubbering calf, he exclaimed, and tell us what you know. The fellow staggered to his feet, his teeth chattering and trembling like a leaf. "'Now answer my questions, and see that you tell the truth,' said Calhoun. "'Are there any forces in front of us?' "'Not, not as I know,' he managed to say. 
Do you know the shortest road to Salineville? Yes, yes. Will you guide us there if I spare your life? Anything. I will do anything if you won't kill me, he whined. Very well, but I will exchange horses with you, as I see you are riding a fine one, and he looks fresh, remarked Calhoun. The exchange was made, and then Calhoun said, Now lead on, and at the first sign of treachery, I will blow out your brains. Do you understand? Yes, yes. I will take you the shortest road. What's your name? asked Calhoun as they rode along. Andrew Harmon. Well, Andrew, I wish all Yankees were like you. If they were, we should have no trouble whipping the North. I reckon you are about as big a coward as I ever met. Harmon, still white and trembling, did not answer. He was too thoroughly cowed. Right as hard as Morgan's men could, when they neared Salineville, Shackelford was pressing on their rear. They had either to fight or surrender. My brave boys, you have done all that mortals can do. I cannot bear to see you slaughtered. I will surrender. As Morgan said this, his voice trembled. It was a word his men had never heard him use before. General, it is not all over for you, cried Calhoun, his voice quivering with emotion. Think of the joy of the Yankees if you should be captured. Let me take half the men. You take the other half and escape. I can hold the enemy in check until you get well away. Morgan demurred. The sacrifice will be too great, he said. You must. You shall consent. We will force you, the cry went up from the whole command as from one man. Morgan bowed his head. He could not speak. In silence, he took Calhoun's hand. Tears gathered in his eyes, the first tears Calhoun ever saw there. There was a strong clasp, a clasp which seemed to say, It may be the last. Then, wheeling his horse, Morgan galloped swiftly away, followed by less than half of his six hundred. There was not a moment to lose, for the Federals were already charging down with triumphant cheers, confident of an easy victory. Calhoun had posted his men well, and a withering volley sent the Federals reeling back. They charged again, only to recoil before the fierce fire of the Confederates. There was now a lull in the fighting. Calhoun saw that they were flanking him on the right and left. Charge, he shouted, and the little band was soon in the midst of their enemies. The Federals closed in around them. There was no way to retreat. Calhoun's men, seeing how hopeless the fight was, began to throw down their arms. Surrender, cried a fine-looking officer to Calhoun, who, well in front, was fighting like a demon. Even in that hell of battle, Calhoun knew the officer. It was Mark Crawford, the captain whose horse he had captured in Tennessee, and whom he afterwards took prisoner at Cave City. But the captain was wearing the shoulder straps of a major now. Never shouted Calhoun in answer to the summons to surrender, and with sword in hand he spurred forward to engage Crawford in single combat. But that officer had a revolver in his hand, and he raised it and fired. Calhoun felt as if he had been struck on the head with a red-hot iron. He reeled in his saddle and then fell forward on his horse's neck. His sword dropped from his nerveless hand. His horse, wild with fear, and not feeling the restraining hand of a master, broke through the ranks of the Federals and bore him out of the conflict. 
Still clinging to the neck of his horse and the horn of his saddle, he kept his seat. He straightened himself up, but the blood streaming over his face blinded him, and he saw not where he was going. Neither did he realize what had happened, for the shock of his wound had rendered him half unconscious. His mind began to wonder. He was a soldier no longer, but a boy back in Kentucky, running a race with his cousin, Fred. "'On, on, Salim!' he weakly shouted. "'We must win. It is for the sunny south we are racing.'" The horse still ran at full speed, his glossy coat dripping with perspiration, his nostrils widely distended and showing red with blood. But his pace began to slacken. Darkness gathered before the eyes of Calhoun. "'Why, it's getting night,' he murmured. "'Fred, where are you?' "'Lower!' Still lower, he sank, until he was once more grasping the neck of his horse. A deadly faintness seized him. Total darkness was around him, and he knew no more. With Calhoun gone, all resistance to the Federals ceased. Of the six hundred who had ridden so far and so well, fully one-half were prisoners. The Federals were greatly chagrined and disappointed, when they found that Morgan was not among the prisoners. The man they desired above all others was still at liberty. Forward was the command, and the pursuit was again taken up. With the remnant of his command, Morgan was nearing New Lisbon. If there were no foes before him, there was still hope. From a road to the west of the one he was on, a cloud of dust was rising. His guide told him that this road intersected the one he was on, but a short distance ahead. His advance came dashing back, saying there was a large body of Federal troops in his front. From the rear came the dire tidings that Shackelford was near. Morgan saw, and his lips quivered. It is no use, he said. It is all over. The ride of the six hundred had ended, a ride that will ever live in song and story. Morgan has surrendered. Morgan is a prisoner, was the news, borne on lightning wings all over the entire North. What rejoicing there was among the Federals. The great raider, the man they feared more than an army with banners, was in their power. End of chapter 18